Welcome to Out of the Box Success with Audra Bartlett, episode number 12. In order for you to live your most extraordinary life, you're going to have to be willing to think outside of the box as to what success truly means for you in your business and life. Hi, I'm Audra Bartlett, certified success coach, multi-passionate, multi-business entrepreneur, and I've come to shake things up to get those creative juices flowing and get you really believing in what is possible truly for your life. We have something really special today. This is going to be the first interview for the podcast, and it's somebody who I've known for a very long time and thus far on the podcast is going to be the one I've known the longest. So today I have Jennifer Blanchard. She's a best-selling author and storyteller who translates woo-woo spiritual concepts into practical life applications. She has authored 16 books and counting, which is incredible, and it includes Fuck the How, Quantum Leap Your, Leap Your Life, and Test Drive Your Dreams, and several other works of fiction. Um, and I personally own and have read two of those three, so which is amazing. Um, and they they've been a profound impact on me as well. So what I really want to start these interviews off with is what I call or I call and other people call a meet cute, which are typically used for romantic movies in which there's a cute way that the two main characters meet. And for me, since I love my life and all the people that I have on the podcast, we're going to talk about the cute way or interesting way that I know each person. Jen and I met in high school, actually, and I have very vague memory of Jen other than she had really big bangs, um, (laughs) fun style, and she kind of did her own thing. And like, I just remember, I just remember the heavy bangs pretty much, which was all the rage back in the day. Um, And several years ago, we reconnected and it was a really kind of cool and serendipitous reconnection. We both ended up attending our 20-year high school reunion, and that moment I was just sitting there and like, wow, this woman is doing all these things that I want to do. We're in the same field. She's written all these books. I was really, really inspired by you, and um, I really felt like that meeting was meant to happen, and uh, we now have kind of just championed each other through Facebook. You came and stayed in my Airbnb. We just talked about actually hanging out more in real life. Um, And so Jen has a little bit uh, more interesting uh, perspective on how that whole thing went down when you were coming to the reunion. So yeah, yeah. Because funnily enough, me attending my 20 year high school reunion is something I never in a million years would have ever imagined that I would do. (laughs) High school was not exactly my favorite time of life. Uh, for sure. So um, I definitely never thought I would do that. And actually, serendipitously, like you said, um, I just happened to, so at the time, my boyfriend's store had been getting super busy and they just didn't have enough employees. And at the time I was sort of in between like transitioning between what I used to do and what I'm doing now. And so I just thought, yeah, if you guys need some help, like I'll come and help at the store a couple of days a week and, you know, just to help you guys out until you find some extra help. And so I was actually there working at the register one day and this guy came in and I was like, man, it's like this guy I went to high school with. And I just kept thinking like, it can't be him though. Like it just, it didn't, I don't know. I just, 
it had been such a long time, like 20 mm-hmm. years. So I was like, I don't know. I'm just be crazy. And then he came to the register and he cashed out. And I was like, that look like him, but I don't want to say anything in case I was wrong. And then later I get a Facebook message and it's a Facebook, like he had a friend requested me and then messaged me and been like, I, oh my God, it is you. Like, I couldn't believe it. And so it was so crazy because then he's like, yeah, actually it's so funny. I ran into today because tomorrow is our 20 year high school reunion. And I was like, what? But yeah. So anyhow, he said, yeah, you should come. And I was like, all right, I'll think about it. And so then the next day I I had a change of clothes with me in case I was going to go. And then the last minute I was like, all right, I'm just going to go. Like, maybe this is an opportunity that the universe is giving me to make mm-hmm. peace with the past and to let go of like the animosity that I used to feel toward high school. And like a lot of the people I went to high school with and all that stuff. And so I'm like, I was in a, a very like healing phase. I'm, I'm kind of always in a healing phase. I feel like <laughs> yeah, I'm always, yeah. <laughs> always working on the internal game stuff. But at the time I was deep into a healing phase. And so I thought, okay, I'm just going to go. And I went and when I got there, like immediately I ran into Rich again, but then I ran into you and it was like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, like I remembered you from high school. And I remember just thinking like, we didn't get to hang out a lot. Cause like you worked a lot, you had a lot of projects and like things going on, but um, you were always just like, so yourself and just so unique. And like, you always had fun and like just cool outfits. And so I just, I remembered you just being like a really cool, creative, awesome person. And so I was really excited that you were there. And so we started talking and yeah, it was like, wow, okay. You're doing similar things. You're working on a book, like you're doing life coaching. So yeah, it was definitely serendipitous. And I felt like I didn't know why I was supposed to go to this mm-hmm. reunion thing. And I felt like afterward it was because I was supposed to reconnect with you. So yes. um, yeah. And also heal like the past and stuff too, but mm-hmm. Just like yeah, I mean, he'll that. just casually heal the past and stuff. <laughs> just casually heal the past, you know, let all the things go. And <laughs> yeah, no, I I totally agree. I remember just being like magnetized. I was like, oh, her, I gotta hang out. With, I gotta be like, this is this is it right here. And when yeah. you told me that story, I was like, yeah, that's why she was supposed to come. That's why we were supposed to be here. Yeah, because I think you had said the same thing, right? Like you hadn't even known if you're gonna come, and then finally you're just like, all right, I think I'm just gonna go, and mm-hmm. you just like went and. And it's not like you lived close to here, right? You drove mm-hmm. up here. So, um, so yeah, that was just a yeah. cool, cool little serendipitous moment. Yeah. And now we're here, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> we're going to talk about uh, the journey um, of you being a writer, of you going down the path of plan B versus plan A, which I think is really important for the people listening, because often we think that we really aren't capable or it's not possible to do the thing we truly want to do, to go with our plan A, to go with the thing we really, really want for our life. Um, And we'll do something in close proximity. We'll do something kind of what we want to do. Um, But the commitment to the truth of what we want is brave. It's a brave act. Um, And so Let's just talk about you being a writer. Have you always wanted to be a writer? Was there a spark? When did the spark kind of emerge for you? And well, yeah, I would say always. So I I don't ever remember a time that I didn't want to be a writer. Like, I think I just, from a young age, like I was always just like writing things down. I don't know if it was just like observations or like things I was experiencing, but I just always, I even found this journal I had and it was from like, I think middle school or fifth grade or something, but it was like, I was just writing down like all the boys I had crushes on and all the things that was going on in my life. And, and it's just like, I was always just writing stuff down and like documenting things. And I always loved movies and like reading books. Like I constantly carried 
books with me everywhere I went. And I had them, you know, tucked in the backseat of my mom's car and, and just like everywhere, you know, I just loved mm-hmm. having books to read constantly. So, um, and actually when my mom, this is a funny little fact, when my mom was pregnant for me, she is not a reader, but when she was pregnant for me, she could not stop reading novels. She would literally lock herself in the bathroom stall at work to finish one of the novels she was reading because like, she couldn't wait to know what happened next. Oh, I love um, that. <laughs> but she never read really before that. And she doesn't read now. So like, when she was pregnant for me though, it was just happening. So I just felt like it was what um, I was meant to do. It was and like the I, energy, it, the energy of you and her belly. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. That's crazy. And, <laughs> but at age 11 is when I decided I'm going to do this as, as a job. Like this is going to be my career. And I just started following Nicholas Sparks. So I was 11 in 1994, 95. It was a yeah. long time ago, everybody. So um, <laughs> Nicholas Sparks was just starting out actually at the time. He was just becoming a big thing. His uh, first movie had come out, uh, Message in a Bottle. So it was just like a big thing. And I thought, wow, he had a book and it got turned into a movie. And I was like, I'm going to do that. Like, that's what I want to do with my life. I'm going to write books and I'm going to turn them into movies and I'm going to tell stories. And like, that's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And and then I started right away. So I started writing short stories. When I was 13, I wrote a novella. Like I just was always writing. That's so beautiful. Like that pure energy of childhood when we're really thinking about like you're at 11 and you're like, oh, that's something somebody does. I can absolutely do that. And the energy of that childlike wonder and how we often lose that at some point and it gets convoluted. And all of a sudden we start to think like, oh, well, 11 year old me thought this was possible, but yeah. It's really not because I have to do adult things, right? Yeah. Adult me is to be more logical and more realistic and, mm-hmm. you know, think about the proper adult things. <laughs> yes. Like paying yeah. the electric bill. Right. Um, so <laughs> when you started in the early days of writing, um, you know, beyond 13, kind of as an adult, what did you find were some of the biggest blocks that you encountered both in committing to your writing practice and getting your work out there? Well, I would say the biggest thing for me, there was probably two things, really. The biggest thing being procrastination. So I was a super procrastinator. Like I would put everything off till the last minute, including like school projects and writing assignments, anything I had to do always at the last minute. Um, But that was easier for me when I had deadlines someone else was giving me, right? A work deadline, a school deadline. But once I became an adult where I had to make my own deadlines for things mm-hmm. is where it became nearly impossible for me. I I could never ever set a deadline and stick to it. Like I would always either just fall off track or I would just get distracted and not even finish. Um, or I would just have so much like, I guess, fear or overwhelm coming up where I would feel like, okay, I don't even know how to start this. I don't even know what to do. And I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to bother. Right. Like I just kind of kept doing that. And I had started many, many projects. So I'd started uh, multiple novels. I had started blogs and this was back when blogs were not even a thing really. So um, (laughs) it was very much a different thing than it is now. Um, But I had started a couple of those and, and it just, it never really went anywhere. And it was just annoying and frustrating, but that was the biggest thing that I was dealing with. Um, and then the other thing was being that I didn't have a complete knowledge and understanding of how to do a story, like how to write a story. Mm. And for me as a fiction writer and as a storyteller, it was important that I knew um, what it actually takes, right, to put a good story together. And there are pieces of craft and things that you need to know in order to write a good story. And there was a lot of stuff that I didn't know that I wasn't even aware I needed to know. And mm. so that was another kind of hurdle for me as well. Yeah. And when it comes to 
it's essentially a you versus you conversation um, because many people, most people find it easy to do something um, when your boss is breathing down your neck or when you absolutely have to, when you have that extrinsic motivation, that external force telling you that this has to be done. Yeah. So when it came to you finding that intrinsic, which is something a lot of entrepreneurs really struggle with, like structuring their day, making sure they're committing to it, like you committing to an appointment with yourself or what you told yourself to do is one of the biggest challenges. So how have you found ways to stick to a schedule or kind of overcome that piece of of Jen versus Jen? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So back when I was first starting all of this, I was, it was 2008. I was turning 25 that year. And I was just like, I am so done with this behavior. Like I'm so done with not doing the things I say I'm going to do. And I'm just so done with it. I'm like, I want to get my novel finished. Like this has been on my to-do list since, or my new year's resolutions list or whatever you want to call it for over a decade. Like it is time to do this. And so I remember being like, it's going to happen this year. I'm going to do it by my birthday. So like I set myself a concrete deadline of like, by my birthday, this novel draft will be written, right? It'll be done the first draft of it. And a couple months went by, nothing was really helping. And so then I decided, okay, I need accountability. Like this is more than just me saying I'm going to do something, but I need something else to like help me stay accountable. Mm -hmm. So I started a blog actually. And my goal was to write one blog post a week and to blog about my journey to writing this, the first draft of this novel. So because I started doing that and I actually started growing a following pretty quickly, just because of the time it was like, there wasn't a lot of blogs out there. It was kind of just like a thing. (laughs) And I picked up a, you know, not even like a huge audience, like 25, 50 people, but it made me feel like, okay, well now I have people who are watching this journey, who I have to share this stuff with. And if I don't do what I say, I'm going to do, they can see that. Right. And maybe it's only a handful of people, but it was enough for me to feel like I'm going to do this. Right. And so I was so committed to this goal that it was September of that year, 2008. I was living in Houston at the time we had hurricane uh, Ike happening. Mm-hmm. So I was like, Oh my God, my deadline is in two weeks. And then this hurricane happens. I have no power, no water at my house for two weeks. But during this time, I was like, I'm finishing this novel. So I literally sat by candlelight at nighttime with this laptop that didn't have of the battery couldn't be plugged in. Right. So it was like a draining battery. And I finished that freaking draft during awesome. that hurricane. So I was like, so committed to making it happen. Um, and so okay. in that, it I'm just getting chills that, right like, now. I'm, <laughs> I'm getting chills. I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's really, it was just, it was for me, birthday goals tend to be something that I do really stick to. So that helps me. But I would say the biggest things now moving into my adult version of me now that was practicing and writing all the books and all the things, accountability is still a big part of how I do what I do. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm actually part of a, what do you call it? A group, I guess it's called, um, Oh God, what is it called? Space-time monotasking. And so how it works is basically you're part of the group and then there's different Zoom sessions throughout the week. And we all meet up at a certain time and we say, you know, this is what I'm working on during this one hour session. Or sometimes we have two hour sessions. So it's it's either a short session or a longer one. And the goal is to just get something done, right? Whatever project you're doing or a step in a project or whatever. That has been a huge help for me. Now, I only started doing that over the last like year, but 
before that, I always had something like that in place, whether it was a friend that I would check in with or meet up with and have coffee and we'd work on our businesses together or, um, you know, something like that. I always had some sort of accountability built in to what I'm doing because I know I need that. <laughs> like 100% I need that. Another thing that helped me is as an entrepreneur, I sort of built that into my business. So like I have a challenge I do every single year. It's called the 100 day get your goal challenge. I've been doing it for seven years now. Um, and it starts on my birthday, which is the hundred days left in the year. I don't know. I've like, a, it, it just fits perfectly. Right. <laughs> so um, I celebrate my birthday and I I'll kick off this little challenge. And the goal is to finish the year with whatever you said you were going to do. And so that also motivates me to get stuff done because I'm leading people and I'm going to be an example for people. So mm -hmm. I give myself what I call kind of extreme accountability sometimes because that helps me to do what I say I'm going to do. Um, and I don't necessarily need that level for everything, but for certain things. So like books, getting close to mm -hmm. being finished with a book is what I'm going to need the most. Other steps in the process, I'm pretty good at holding myself to it. It's just because now I'm used to it. It's a habit and I just love it so much. But there was definitely a time where that wasn't the case. So the accountability factor has been like huge for me in overcoming a lot of the stuff that gets in the way. Yeah. And I think that's really, really important. What you're talking about is finding some way to have the accountability that works for you. And, and I've actually done that when you're talking about this time um, tasking, a space time monotasking, I think is what it was called. Yeah. That's the name of the, the business. That the business. But yeah. But I've seen all sorts of these sort of things more recently. I know in town, they have one where you can just meet up four or five hour time block, nice. get work done. I've met online with through meetup for an hour long writing session. I, I have a coach that I do a session with every week. And it's just really good to have those meetings set where mm -hmm. somebody is going to be there. And even if you, the two of you sit there and don't talk and just do things on your laptop, it's better than yeah. um, kind of the ambiguous time that can happen. Yeah. And that's what we do too. It's like, we're all here together and everyone's like, okay, I'm doing this task. I'm doing this task. And then we're mm -hmm. all just doing our thing together. So like we're on zoom, you don't even have to use your camera. Not everybody uses their camera, but it's like, you're just on there accountable to the fact that like you're meeting at a certain time, you're going to do whatever task you said you're going to mm -hmm. do. And then that's it. And, um, and it's a good practice. Another thing that helped me early on was just giving myself rewards. So like finding little ways to gift myself something, whether it's like, okay, I'm going to write for an hour or 30 minutes or whatever. Back then it couldn't have been that long. I started with 15 minutes a day. Like yeah. that was how my writing habit started 15 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it grew from there, but yeah, so it'd be like little things. Okay. I'm going to, write for 15 minutes and I'm going to go walk the dog so I can get outside and get some fresh air. Or I'm going to write for 30 minutes and then I'm going to go and make myself a smoothie, like a delicious smoothie or just something to like make me feel like, oh, I'm going to get to the other side of this writing session and then I get this fun thing or whatever it might be. So, um, so yeah, I don't have to do that so much anymore, like I said, but, but starting off, it was yeah. a huge help. Well, and it's, and it's, you're creating some sort of reward or extrinsic motivation when there is none, right? The smoothie, yeah. the walk. And one of the things you said about biting off a smaller amount to start yeah. is also very yeah. important because people want to, you know, I find, especially in coaching, it's like this binary thinking. It's like the either, or it's the, I'm doing five days a week at the gym 
or I'm beating myself up because I didn't do it and I'm doing nothing. And it's just that idea that starting with 15 minutes, which turns into 30 minutes, which is rewiring your brain, your neural pathways to have a different habit and the small things is important to start with. Yeah. And like a lot, a lot of people I'll say that too. I actually wrote a book about it, the 15 minute writer and uh, it was a bestseller on Amazon actually. Um, But it's, (laughs) I think people get the concept, right? The idea is so simple, but it's like, it makes sense. Um, there are people who argue, oh, you can't do writing in 15 minutes. But like, if you really know what you're going to do in each session. So like, I have a plan before I I have a, you know, an outline or I have a plan that I'm working from. So when I sit down, I know what I'm doing. I'm not sitting there going, okay, figuring out what I'm going to do now. Right. I know what I'm going to do because I have my outline and then I know what I'm working on. It's like 15 minutes isn't a lot of time, but it's enough to do something. And then, like you said, most of the time you just keep going. Or if you don't, you did the 15 minutes and at least mm-hmm. you can say, I did what I said I was going to do today. And that's good enough, right? That's always going to be good enough. Yeah. And the idea that a a task expands to often the time that we give it. Now, obviously writing can, you know, can take a good deal of time to do something, but if we give ourselves this humongous runway of uh, two years, it will take you two years to do the task. Yep. Yeah. Uh, So if you have required. Yeah. If you have constrained focus and you really get down to it in the time you've allotted, you can get so much more accomplished. Yeah. Way more. So what we're really here for is (laughs) your story uh, about you making the leap from first off your nine to five to your plan B to your plan A. Well, actually it was, (laughs) I I went from the day job to plan A and then the the plan B, I wouldn't even call it plan B. It was more like the shadow career just mm-hmm. sort of emerged because of the fear of not having money, which we mm. can talk about all of that. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I had a nine to five job. I, for seven years after college had been working, I worked as a magazine editor. I worked um, and as an online content writer, uh, marketing writer, social media manager. I did a lot of different things, all related to writing and marketing type activities. So that was my background. That was what I was good at, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so I just got to a point where I was like, I got to get out of here. Right. And I'm not going to recommend this road, uh, road to anybody, right. Because this is not the smart way to do it, but this is how I did it. Okay. So I'm going to preface this with, because it's not exactly smart. Like I said, but what I did was I got to a point where I was so frustrated with my situation. I hated what I was doing for work. I hated the company I was working for. I was absolutely miserable commuting an hour and 15 minutes every morning to sit at a desk for eight hours and work on the internet when I could be at home doing that exact same thing. I was just so pissed, so frustrated by how the work culture was. Like I was just, I was fed up. And in January of that year that I ended up quitting my job, which was 2012. So it's been 11 years now. No, wait, is that 11 years? 12? Yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> 11. I don't even know. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, you don't even know anymore. <laughs> I don't. Listen, That's the problem is being an entrepreneur. You never know the date, the any yeah. of that. Stuff. If people can see us too, we look, we don't look our age. We do right. not. We, no. <laughs> me and Jen look a lot younger, but we, we have a few years on us. <laughs> Quite a few years. <laughs> oh, but yeah, so January of that year, I drove into the parking garage. I had been off from Christmas and New Year's for like a two week period. So I hadn't been at work. And then I got back to work in January. Immediately, I pulled in the parking garage and I just start bawling out of nowhere. Like, and I'm not really a big crier. 
So I was like, whoa, like this is crazy. And I thought, you know what? When your job makes you cry, it's time to say goodbye. And I went inside and I pulled out my calendar and I circled a date. I circled, uh, it was May 9th. And I circled it on my calendar and I said, that is the day that I will be working for myself officially. And I had no clue how I was going to get there. And I had no clue what I was going to do. But I just said, this is the date because, and the reason I chose that date was because at the time I was getting married a week after that. And I was going to New York where my family lived to do that. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to get married and then come back and have a whole new life. Right. And even though I, we won't even get into the marrying situation. We'll talk about <laughs> read, any of that. Read situation. her book. What is that? Read, fuck, read fuck, fuck the, the how if you want to know more about that. Um, yeah, <laughs> but we won't talk about that part, but anyhow, so that's why I chose that date. And what ended up happening was not long after that, um, I found this course that this guy I followed online, he had a blog and his blog was all about quitting your job to do what you love for work. And so I followed him for a few years and he put a course out. He had a brand new course he put out. It was a six month course. And each month was about a different aspect of building a business, right. And different information. And it was a $500 investment. And I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I, I had a job, obviously I was making good money. I was making near six figures, um, but I was not very good at handling money. So I didn't really have much of it most of the time. Um, and so when this happened, I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. I don't know how, like, I'm just going to say yes. And I'm going to do this. And so I paid the first payment. And literally the next day, my mom calls me and she's like, I got a big bonus from work. I want to give you and your brother $500 mm -hmm. each. Like, and yes. I just remember being like, and I just got chills saying that, but I was like, mm -hmm. I just remember being like, oh my God, this was the universe supporting this decision. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I took that money and I paid off what I owed on the course. And I was like, done. And I went through and I was doing the course for the, the months that were, you know, two or three months, March of that year comes. And I'm just getting to a point where I can't even like my work environment had gotten so toxic it was just eight hours of people complaining around mm. me nonstop upper management, just like super sketchy, just doing really disgusting, sketchy things. And like, just, I don't know, it was bad. And so I was just like, I can't handle this anymore. And so my ex were driving to work one morning and we were stopped in dead stop traffic and horrible, horrible traffic. And we both just looked at each other and we went, fuck this life is too short. Mm, and yes. he's like, let's just figure something out. He's like, let's move to New York, live with your parents, like whatever we have to do, let's do something else. We can't do this anymore. And he was, he wasn't working the same type of job that I was, but he was in the boat where I was. He had been in the Marine Corps. He got out, he was trying to figure out his life again. And he was a musician, he was creative and he didn't want to do some bullshit job just like anybody else, you know? So that day he dropped me off at work. I put my two weeks notice and he didn't even go to work. He just went home. <laughs> he didn't even like, he just quit on the spot because he, that was typical for him. He didn't really, like, whatever. <laughs> but, <laughs> but anyway, so it was like, I put my notice in that day and it was like, I had no clue what I was going to do. I just knew I couldn't do that anymore. And so it was like, I just trusted something would happen. Like I didn't know what I had no clue what I was going to do. I just believed that something would happen. And about a week later, I ended up getting a my 401k company had mailed me some document telling me like, oh, here's your statement or whatever. I'm like, you guys have literally never mailed me anything in the entire time that I've worked here. But okay, so I open it and I realized I have $12,500 in there. And I went, oh my God, there's my safety net. So I called the company, I clear out the 401k, like I take the tax, you know, they take like a big chunk of tax out of it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I just said, okay. So I had almost 10 grand saved up at that point from that. And I was like, okay safety net. I still don't know what I'm going to do to make money. I still don't know what I'm going to do with this business, but I do know I have a book that I want to write. So I'd just written a book a couple of years before my first one. And I'm like, I'm going to write the second one now. 
So I'm like, I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to use the safety net and I'm going to write this book and I'll figure it out. I don't know. <laughs> so that's what I did. And so I did start with the plan A. Like I said, I went out thinking I'm going to write this book and I'm going to you know, be an author, like is what I wanted to be. And that did happen. So within a month of quitting the job, I had the book written. I had published it like it was out. And then I got married and then everything started to fall apart from there. <laughs> so it just became so much fear and so much doubt and anxiety and stress around the money. How am I going to make money? Like my book isn't making that much money yet. And, and actually at the time, this was even before Amazon, not Amazon existed, but I wasn't on Amazon. Like mm -hmm. I had been publishing my books just through my blog as a PDF. And th that was like the old school way to publish a book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you actually got paid a lot more for books back then when you did. Oh, interesting. Um, I, I think my very first book that I published on my site, I charged $19.95 for it for each one. So I was making quite a bit of money actually off that book, like three, four grand within the first few months. Um, but anyhow, so I got on Amazon at the end of that year and it became like, mm -hmm. okay, this, but then it just all blew up because I started thinking, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. I, so I started taking on any job I could take on, right? Any writing related job. So I felt like, well, I'm still doing writing, which is technically mm -hmm. what I wanted to be doing. But I started doing marketing writing and writing for magazines and just all these things, right? To make ends meet. But what ended up happening in all of that is I started to go down all these other paths, right? So I had I had gone and done a health coaching certification a few years prior to that. And so I thought I should be using that. So mm -hmm. I should start Good. coaching. And so I started to try to do that. And I started investing in all this health coaching stuff. And then I realized after a while, I don't want to do this. I don't like talking about health with people. Like I like to share what I'm doing, but I don't want to be like coaching somebody on that, mm -hmm. you know? And, and it was just like this crazy journey of figuring out like, what am I going to do? But in that I built a shadow business for 10 years. Um, where I helped writers write books. And that's what I did. I was an editor. I was a book coach. Um, I did a lot of little one-off projects relating to that kind of thing, like helping someone publish on Amazon or or things like that. Um, and then I built a good business, right? Like I built mm -hmm. a business that was near six figures. I think the final year I was doing it, I was at 82,000 something, which was like I had replaced, more than replaced my day job income, which was my goal when I quit my job, was to replace my day job income with my business. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had done that, but I was miserable and that's mm -hmm. what I started to realize. And, and not only was I miserable in my business, but I was miserable in my life. And this was 2018 where I was starting to realize this is not what I want. Um, and that's the whole manifesting the divorce thing, which I talked about in my book. And then everything changed for the good, right. For the better. But then I realized I'm still not where I want to be with my life or my business. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm not doing what I want to do with my books. And I would love to say it happened quickly, but it didn't. It took me until the end of 2020 to finally be like, I need to do something else. I don't know what it is, but I need to do something else. And I just, I just was fed up again at that moment of like, fuck this shit. I need to do something else. And January of 2021, I was like, done. I am an author full time now. That's it. I don't fucking care if I make $0. Like I am doing this. This is what I'm doing mm -hmm. with my life. And that's it. And I shut down my coaching business. I closed my membership site. I stopped doing all the stuff I was doing. And that was it. And I just said, I'm an author now and that's it. And I had to take on little side jobs to just like keep sure. things going. And I was still working for myself. I was doing like Instacart and stuff where I could control my time and my hours and all of that. But like, I just knew that I had to do something else besides what I was doing. And it was finally time to do the thing I knew I was meant to do, which I had dabbled in. So it's not like I hadn't. So I would say the shadow thing was there, right? I was living the shadow mm -hmm. career, the business, the life. But there was always little glimpses of plan A in all of that. 
-hmm. So, you know, I had written over the time that that was going on. I think there were 12 books at that point. So like I had written a lot of books. I had been doing stuff. It was just, I wasn't 100% focused on it. And I wasn't fully putting my energy and belief into the fact that that could be my main thing. You know, I always had this belief that like I had to be a coach as well, or I had to have other streams of income as well, because that wouldn't, wouldn't be enough on its own. And yeah, I just I, wanted to prove to myself that it could be. Yeah. I think that it's, there's a couple of things that really like stood out. One of them is this idea when you were leaving the place and you started crying for no apparent reason, right? The idea that it's like almost on a soul level, your body was like, I I can't do this anymore. Like there's no logical reason or logical sense for this at this moment, but like my body literally can't take it anymore. And yep. so that being the first step in which sometimes that's the only place that a lot of people, you know, that are listening, that are at, they just get to a pain point that's so intense that their body's reacting and they can no longer do it. And then after that, this is the nuanced part is that sometimes even when we think we're generally, and, and it wasn't that it was wrong or right because you learned in that process, you grew through it, yep. but that we can still be playing small and shooting ourselves even when we are in close proximity, right? It's yeah. to, to really yeah. step into like, no, I'm doing this no matter what, like I'm committing to this. Like I said, it's being so brave that we can sometimes almost like lie to ourselves and say, well, I need to do this and that. I I can't just do this because I can't make it. So we're still allowing ourselves to be small in that process. There's a lot of awareness and growth. And sometimes that happens through an organic realization. And sometimes it happens with coaches or with, you know, people outside of us that can be like, look at that. Like, don't, don't play small there. Right. Exactly. Um, I think it's important for people to understand that sometimes even in proximity to what we want, we can still be not allowing ourselves to be as big and full and amazing as 100%. 100%. Yeah. I mean, I spent so long helping other writers write books and put books out there. And it was like, I was so proud of the work I was doing. Like I had so many people that were just like, whose lives are being changed by their books getting out there finally. And them actually telling their story or writing their story, like is life-changing work and it is important work. And I believed in it 100%, but I just knew at the same time that it wasn't what I was meant to be doing. You know, mm -hmm. it was like, I know that I'm good. At, it's it, the difference between doing something you're good at and doing something, you know, you're meant to be doing. Like there was a huge difference. I'm very good at writing. I'm good at marketing. I'm good at, you know, online business and all these things. And I could do all of those things. But are those things going to light me up? No. Are those things going to fuel my soul? No. Like that's never going to be the thing for me, you know? So like I had to finally get real with myself about that. And I didn't for a long time because I was so scared about the money. I was so worried that because of all the beliefs that I had, authors are broke, authors are poor. You're never going to make money as an author. Like all the things I was told and taught and I didn't realize I still believed all that shit. And so I had to do the work and it took, I mean, it was real work. It was a, mm -hmm. a lot more than I realized was in there, like limiting beliefs, negative things, not just about like 
writing, but just about myself, like what I was capable of, what was possible or allowed for me. Like there were so many things and a lot of money mindset type stuff. Like I had to dig myself out of this like hole I had put myself in by not doing the thing I knew I was meant to do for so long, you know? So it was like, mm -hmm. but again, I wouldn't change any of it because I don't believe that the books I've written now or the, the success I'm having now would have happened without that journey, you know, because mm -hmm. I needed it. I needed to try all the things to make sure that this was my thing, you know, like as a multi-passionate, which I think you kind of will resonate with, like, oh yeah, <laughs> as a multi-passionate, right. We want to do all the things. So I gave myself permission for a decade to do all the things and it was fine. It was great. And it made me some money and it was fun, but like, it wasn't actually what I knew I'm meant to be doing. So now I feel like I've tried all the things I've done all the things. It's almost like, you know, if someone will say like, oh, you're getting married. So you have to like get all the free marriage jitters or whatever the things are out. Mm -hmm. It's like, I was doing that with my business or being an author. It was like, I had to get rid of all the fears and the things and try all the things. So I didn't have any FOMO when I finally decided I'm going to be an author now. And that's it. Like, that's what I'm going to focus on, you know? Um, but what's been cool is I've taken that. And now that that's the main thing and that's the focus for me, I've been able to add in additional things mm -hmm. like a course, like, um, you know, things like that. And now I feel like it's all aligned and it's all working together as opposed to it being separate things. Yeah. And so you kind of spoke a little bit about it, but what do you think at that time was the biggest fear? Uh, of being an author, of saying I'm going to be an author full time? Mm -hmm. Probably, I don't know, it was probably a couple of things for me. So I would say the money factor being a huge one. So just the fear that I couldn't make a living doing it. Um mm -hmm. But then also the visibility factor. So like I had a huge, and I still, I'm work. this is one of my inner work things right now mm -hmm. is I have a huge desire to be known and for my books to be out there and millions of people to read them and to have their lives changed and my stories as well, fiction, you know, nonfiction, but I definitely have that fear of like being visible because mm -hmm. growing up, I was bullied a lot. I was picked on. I was, um, you know, called out for a lot of things being different and weird and, you know, nerdy, creative girl or whatever. So um, it was hard. It was very hard to want to go out there fully and be like, this is me. But when Fuck the How came out, that was almost like me coming out of the coming out of the author closet. Right. I was like, mm -hmm. OK, I'm going to write the book that I've been knowing I'm supposed to write. And like I haven't because I knew I was supposed to be teaching about manifestation. I just wasn't fully giving myself permission that that could be something I could do with my author career, too. You know, that it could be like, oh, I could write books about that. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't until I decided that I'm going to do this full time that the idea for Fuck the How came to me. And I would say it was always with me because when I look back, I go, oh, in hindsight, like that was my process my entire life. I just didn't mm -hmm. know what to call it. And now I have a name for it. And now I can actually explain it to somebody and write about it. So yeah, the, the fear of, and I've seen a little bit, if you guys, if you're listening and you're interested, she writes amazing things on Facebook, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> amazing things. And I've watched a little bit of the process of you going through some of the money blocks, which I think are, are huge. And we don't like money's up there with money and sex. We just don't talk about it in our society very much. We're talking about it more, but we are not taught how to manage money, how to deal with their money, what to do. Like it's, and especially for women, it's kept away from us. Cause you know, I'm from old school, you know, the, the guys go to work, they manage the bills, the women are completely ignorant to kind of what's happening. Yep. And so we're just, 
not taught. I even had a conversation with my mother recently. I'm like, did you ever think about like life insurance or like leaving money to your children? She's like, I never even, never even thought about it. Like I just even think about it. So (laughs) the idea of the, the money, right. Claiming that piece, but the visibility is, you know, I've heard it equated to, you know, rejection feels like death because it triggers the same part in our brain that causes pain, like physical pain for us. Yeah. And and also the fact that back in the day, like the caveman days, if we were rejected and we mm would have been cast out, we would die, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was a very primal instinct. I feel like that that happens to us, you know? Yeah. And, and additionally, because of what happened to you with being bullied and feeling like even more than somebody who doesn't have that experience to feel even more like that's like even more like death to to put yourself out there with this is me and this is exactly what I do. And this is how I exist. It's scary. It is. What things would you say have helped you work through some of those visibility fears? One is practice. I mean, more than anything else, it's literally just doing it, which I know it sucks to have that as an answer, but like it, that makes you better. Like if I look at videos that I recorded back in 2010, 11, like they're terrible compared to the way I can do a video now, but it's like, I've practiced by making thousands of videos over the years, you know, and putting myself out there and, and making stuff. And you don't have to, you could record it and then delete it. Right. You don't have to put it out there to practice. You can practice alone. <laughs> you know, you can put it on your phone and never show it to anybody, but you're just practicing, getting used to like, I'm going to make a video or I'm going to put a picture out there or whatever you're doing. Like it's just practice a little at a time, getting, getting yourself used to it and, and, you know, feeling more comfortable. The other thing is just the inner work, right? Like it's, it's what beliefs mm-hmm. do I have that this is bad, that this wrong, scary, uh, that it's not safe, like whatever you feel don't, don't like not look at that stuff. Right. Because that's another thing that's going to stop you from putting stuff out there is you're like, well, I'm afraid it's not safe. And I'm afraid that like, if I, (laughs) if people know where I'm, what I'm doing or what I, you know, like they might, something is not good. And so it's a lot of that. I think it's a lot of just practicing and then making sure you're doing the inner and the mindset work to, to counteract any of the things that are going to come up as you do take the action, because it, it goes hand in hand, right? We always have to take action of some kind, mm-hmm. even if like, it's just something small, we can take a baby step, but we always have to do something. And then there's always going to be inner stuff that comes up. And if you can do both at the same time, mm-hmm. you're going to have the easiest time getting out there and doing stuff. And and it doesn't, just because you've been doing it for a long time, doesn't mean it goes away either. So like just this morning, I was literally sitting here on my couch doing a whole inner work session around being visible and having fame and all that mm-hmm. stuff, because I'm starting to realize, like, I want more people to know about my books. I want more people to know about mm. me. And so I have to be willing to be open to that, right? The reason it quote unquote hasn't happened yet isn't because it's not going to happen, but because I've been blocking it with my energy and my fear around it's not safe or it's not whatever. So I'm working on all that stuff now because I'm like, I know these books are meant to be in more people's hands. And especially my stories Absolutely. when I have my novels and stuff, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I know people are supposed to have these books and it does them all a disservice that I don't get over my shit that keeps me from making more of it known to people. You know, it's like, it's on me. It's on me. So it's like, if I just do my part, the universe does its part. And it it always somehow matches me up with what I need, a resource, a tool, a person, a a book, anything, you know, there's always something. And so I just always 
And again, practice. I did not trusting having faith in the universe or slash God, whatever you want to call it was not, was not easy for me because I was raised Catholic. I was taught a lot of things about God and faith and spirituality that did not resonate for me, that did not feel good to me. And so it took me a lot of years of deprogramming that stuff to even be willing to work with the universe to get things for my life, to create my life, you know, Mm -hmm. because I, I, for a long time thought I was on my own and I just believed that. I just thought I'm going to do this. I'm on my own. Like it's on me. And now I'm more leaned back. Like this is a co-creation and I don't have to do everything. I only have to do certain things and I let the universe do the rest, you know, and Mm-hmm. And it takes practice and it does, I'm learning how to trust more and more as I do this, but it's like, it's been such a great journey and it's like, it's just been, it's been nice. And I, I like being able to, I want to be able to share that more, you know? And mm-hmm. so I have to be able to get over anything else I have going on internally that stops me from wanting to be seen. Yeah. And I think if people, if people listen to even just one or two things from this conversation, you saying that is a disservice to not be doing it, to not be visible, to not be getting your books in the hands of more people, right? It's a disservice, your gift to the world, if it's not getting to more people. And I think that's so important for people to understand that like what is inherently in you needs to be in more people's hands. Yeah. And the other thing being, I think we think service means something sometimes that it doesn't always mean, right? Because I think mm-hmm. I, for a long time, didn't think a book could be of service because to me, it would just seem mm-hmm. like, you know, oh, it's just something you read and it's like, whatever. I didn't see, I didn't, I guess, equate those two things. I didn't see that like writing a book can be being of service, uh, selling your books, promoting your books, telling people can be of service. I did not have that until a couple of years ago. And that definitely changed the way I saw it, right? Because So if there is something you want to do where you're like, but it's not really, it's kind of selfish or it seems like it's just for me. Number one, it's okay if it's just for you. You're allowed to be selfish and have things that make you feel good. And that's the only reason that you do it, right? But if you're like, I would love to share this with people. I would love to make money from this. There is a way to connect it to being of service. And you just have to work on shifting your perspective and trying on different perspectives until you see it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's the idea that when we are doing the thing that lights us up, that is quote unquote, selfishly for us. Like you wanted to be a writer, you wanted to write books, but the service piece comes is you releasing what is in you. And we don't know the profound effect it can have on people. Once our gift is released, that's the service part. That's the, that's the, the unquantifiable, uh, reverberation from what we put out there. It's, you know, you, you look of the value and service. And for a long time, I also was stuck on these words, right? Oh, give value. Oh, be of more service. But the idea that when we do one thing, we could never calculate how many other people it touches. So yeah, the like ripple effect. the ripple effect of one person reads fuck the how and transforms their life and it affects their relationships, their kids, their work, all the people around. And then 20 people are affected by that. And then more people, it's just profound from there. And yeah. the, the other thing you said, and I believe it was, I do my part and the universe does their, its part, right? Yeah. Uh, 
when you take aligned action and you're doing your part of what you're supposed to be doing in an action towards the next thing, there's a piece, the faith, right? There's that gap between you taking the actions and you've given several examples, even within here, like when you quit your job and you found the found, right? The $12,000 from <laughs> yeah. the 401k that you yeah. had forgot about as a safety net that the universe shows up even within that, that, that course got released that just so happened to be the right thing at the right, right. time. Yep. These co-creating incidences continue to happen and they're like little magical things that once we release that resistance, we step into the faith. The universe is like, here, look what I got for you. Right. Right. Yeah. Even like when we met, it was like, here, look what I got for you. Yeah. The universe is like, Hey, be a little brave. Like be, be deal with something that seems a little confronting to you to go to this place and possibly run into people that you don't necessarily want to see or like just go because, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, I don't know why I'm literally driving there going, I don't know why I'm coming here right now. <laughs> yeah. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, I yeah. mean, it worked out. So. And that's, and that's one of the things that sometimes we're doing something and we don't understand why, but when you have the faith, you know, you need to do it. Even for, for me, like when I got into real estate, I wasn't sure why I was doing it. I just knew that it was the next step that I had to take to get to the place. And it expanded me to get to this, this place that I'm in this podcast right now, right? (laughs) In this place right now. Exactly. So it's having that faith. And I mean, last year I was laying on the couch. Actually, I had a week where I just was having an off week and I was feeling bad and it was just like not a good week. And I'm laying on the couch watching my favorite HGTV design shows. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I go, oh my God, I want to learn more about interior design. And I start Googling it. I found, it took me a few days, but I found a program I signed up for. I do this course mostly just because I want to learn for me to make my properties my houses feel better, feel more vibey and homey. And it's like in doing that, other things have opened from there. But also I felt like it brought me back around to the commitment to my books and to knowing that I get to do multiple things as long as that vision of where I'm meant to be going is always at the forefront, you know? Mm -hmm. And it helped me to see that like I can be all these things because I'm multi-passionate. That is never going to change. And I can always, I can try to make it. So I did for two years, only do my books and that was it. But I had a very intentional time that I was focused for, you know, it wasn't like I was intentionally trying to not do anything else. And then finally I was like, okay, I can start doing other things again. And I feel comfortable that I'm not going to drop the ball on the vision and what I know I'm supposed to be doing now, you know, cause now there's no, no more shadow. It's all gone. Yeah. It's you know, the, your other passionate pursuits don't take away from the vision, right? right. It doesn't have they to used be. To. Yeah. They used to, it became a shiny object and distracting, but now it's like, I built the foundation, right? The foundation's in place. The books are there that need to be. It's like everything's in place. And so now with that foundation being solid, I can build other things. But I couldn't do that before because I literally had a cart with no horses. Yeah. It was it's <laughs> it's the energy to which we're doing it. Yeah. Right? You can you can pursue something uh a, an extra activity, passion, different direction in avoidance of the Which thing that you're meant many to times. do, right? <laughs> or times. you can do it because it's just something you're interested in. It's the energy behind it. Any one action can be done in shadow or light. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. What is one of the biggest lessons you've learned 
about pursuing success on your terms? Wow. Okay. Uh, one, <laughs> one or two, or one you know, of the biggest, us. All right. a, one or two. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, I'm going to say the one that probably changed my life the most, which is going to seem like in, it doesn't really seem like it would, but okay. So the thing that I would say is the biggest lesson or the biggest takeaway, I guess, is feeling good is the point and the path, which mm. I literally have that tattooed on my arm because it means that much to me. Um, and it changed my life that profoundly, but it was literally when I started to realize that it's not about everything we think it is. It's literally about feeling good. Every reason, the reason we want everything, all the dreams and desires, the goals, everything that we want is because we think it's going to feel good to have that thing. We're going to feel good. We're going to be happy. We're going to be proud of ourselves, whatever positive emotions we think we're going to experience from that thing. Mm -hmm. That's why we want it, right? It's not really the, the thing we want. Like, yeah, we do obviously want the thing, but it's the emotion we're going for because when you get there, there's always going to be another thing, right? So it's, it's not about um, trying to make all these things happen. It's about the emotion that you're wanting to create. So when I started to recognize that I had so much more space in my life because it was like, okay, I just get to feel good. And I don't have to have a to-do list and I don't have to try to figure everything out. And I don't have to, you know, try to do every little step in every little process that I think I should, but it's just what feels good to me in every aspect of everything. In my business, in my life, in the habits that I'm doing, in the way that I'm speaking, the way that I'm handling something, like what feels good and what doesn't. And just focusing on what feels good and knowing that as I'm doing that, I'm doing my main part in the manifestation process, which is being a vibrational match to what I want to receive, right? So it's in doing that, I am now matched because the path is also the feel good path, right? Mm -hmm. You cannot receive something that doesn't match the vibe of what you're on. So if you're in a negative space and the things you want feel good, you're in an opposite vibe. So you have to find a way to feel good in your, your life in whatever capacities you can as much as possible. Now that doesn't mean hundred percent 24 seven, but like, if you can just do that, it will change everything. And like, that was my experience. And I had wished like, I just 10 years before, if I had known this information, you know, like, but it wouldn't have been useful to me then. So, mm -hmm. you know, I wouldn't have known what to do with it. So yeah, I would say out of all my journey, that's the biggest thing because that is the thing that has changed the most for me and what continues to right now. Yeah, that, um, and, and if anybody is like, well, I don't know about, you know, I don't know about that. Like, I really, really want the thing. It's yes, you do want the thing, yes. but a thing is just a thing, right? If, if it's a new boat, that new boat can have a completely different emotional reaction for one person. Like for me, I think about owning a boat and I think, oh my gosh, what work? Like, I don't want to have to deal with that. Like, I don't right. want to do I it. Right. I might get seasick. Like, <laughs> whatever. You like your, your emotional connection to the thing, a boat in this example, but for somebody else, it's freedom. It's, it's this like ease, it's the sun, it's all of those things. And so the thing itself is a neutral and it is how we feel about yep. the thing and how we think we're going to feel when the wind's in our hair and we're on the lake and on yeah. the boat. And sometimes the thing doesn't even feel the way you think it's going to, right? Like you, you receive something and you're like, oh, this isn't what I wanted. Like mm -hmm. I thought this is what I wanted, but this isn't what I wanted. You know, it's like, you don't realize that until you kind of experienced it. So, you know, if you can just get tapped into what are the emotions that I desire to feel, regardless of the things that they might be attached to in my mind and just feel those things now, 
not only are you being a match to all the things that you want, but you're just in a better state as far as like your life is going to go better. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're just, you're feeling free wind in your hair all the time. You're, you're, yeah. you're and constantly it's not a 24 seven thing, but sure. <laughs> it, it will always, right. We're human. It's always And I just want to say that. Cause I feel like people will hear the feel good thing sometimes and be like, well, it's not possible to feel good all the time. And it's not, it's true. Like everybody has moments where like this morning sitting on the couch doing that mindset work didn't feel that good. I was feeling very anxious. I had like a kind of like a knot in the center of my chest, but I was just like, I know this is important work to do. And I know that I'm going to work through this feeling and it's going to go away and I'm going to feel better. And so it was like getting to that other side, just knowing, and, and I've had a lot of practice, right? So if you haven't had practice with feeling good, you may have been, you may be where I was years ago, right? In the beginning of 2018, where I was like, I want to learn how to feel good. I did not know how to do that. I could handle feeling good for two to three days. And then I would have to sabotage it and have like a month of feeling shitty because I couldn't handle it. Like I couldn't. <laughs> and so it took practice of just like changing little things. Instead of eating out of a takeout container, I would put it on a really pretty plate and sit and eat. Like I would put my water in a pretty fancy water glass instead of just drinking it out of a plastic bottle or whatever. You know, it's like, finding little tiny ways to just change the way you feel about mm -hmm. things. And that in itself changes so much. Like it's mind blowing. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to call that uh nuanced joy. I think it's what, like this, like yeah. really tiny little things. And I think what you said uh, towards the end there about um, we are not going to feel good all the time. Yeah. Because I think that's, that goes into like this positive thinking kind of toxic spirit. Like we need to feel yeah. joyful. Toxic positivity. Every, yeah, yeah. Toxic positivity all the time, but that there are sometimes that we can acknowledge that we don't want to feel good because we're grieving or we're yeah. sad or something really terrible happened or yeah. we just are having an off day and we want to. And just, you're allowed. You know, you're allowed. Not great. Yeah. You're allowed yeah. to. You're allowed to have that moment, to take that time. And for me, it's like an awareness now, right? If I'm doing it, I know that I'm choosing to feel bad in this moment. I'm choosing to not mm -hmm. get out of it because I have enough practice and tools now that I know I don't have to stay in a shitty feeling state ever. Mm -hmm. But like, I didn't used to know that. So it's like, if you have moments, it's okay. Give yourself even five minutes a day where you do something that feels good to you. Mm -hmm. That will change your life because that five minutes a day will expand You'll want to spend more time doing that thing. You're going to want to find other ways to feel good Then, oh, wow, I actually really enjoyed that. That felt really good to me. Like maybe I should do more of that. So it's like just finding little ways, practicing and doing that is going to change the whole, not only what you attract into your life, but just your vibe in general and the way you feel is going to be a lot different. And you're allowed to have bad days. You're allowed to feel bad. You're allowed to, to not catch yourself in those moments sometimes. Like it's, it's okay. Give yourself mm -hmm. grace always. And- yes. When you have awareness, use it to your advantage. Yes. And that, and I think that's at the core of it, right? The, the ability to have an awareness around it that I'm choosing right now to not feel good, or I'm choosing right now to be sad, um, versus thinking it's a force outside of you that's controlling you, right? That like, I'm sad and I have absolutely no control over these emotions, but that, that you do, and you can choose to do that. And sometimes, you know, we all have moments where we feel like we don't have control because we're human where this isn't a perfect finite system. Yeah. But if, um, if you want to know more, if you, the listeners want to know more about this process, about the feel good process, about, how to manifest the things in your life, how to have faith in the universe. Jen has some great books 
on them. And do you want to just take one second to, you know, tell them about these books and uh, what they're, what they're about? Yeah, absolutely. I know, I know about two of them. I don't, I don't actually know about the dreams. Yeah. Yeah. So test driver dreams came out the year before, two years before. So I wrote in 2019, I think, um, test driver dreams is about basically if you're not used to going for the things that you desire to have, or if you're just like, there's something you're interested in, but you haven't taken the chance to just try it out yet. Test drive your dreams is a process to help you to do that, right? To help you to start trying different things to see what you actually enjoy and what you don't. Because like, sometimes you realize actually, like for a long time, I wanted a jewelry business and then I started one and I was like miserable. I'm like, this sucks. I don't like doing this. It's boring. Like, it's not fun. I like doing it for me and like as gifts, but I don't like to do it as a business. But like, I never would have known that if I didn't try it out. So that's what test drive your dreams is about is like, how can you start to test drive some of the bigger dreams or the smaller dreams that you have that maybe you haven't given yourself permission to go for. So that's that book. Um, Fuck the how is how I manifest in my divorce, but not just that, but how to apply that process to literally anything that you don't know how you're going to make happen. Um, And that one is really about surrendering to the universe. It's very much, it's very much about getting in tune with the universe and, and, tapping into that co-creation that exists for everybody if you actually want to be able to use it. So that that's that book. And then Quantum Leap Your Life is more like next level manifestation. So mm-hmm. that one is all about the act as if factor, right? Which is if you want something, you have to act as if it's already yours. You have to be that version of yourself who already has it, right? And so that book is very much about how to do that, how to create the next level version of yourself by thinking, believing, feeling, and acting in certain ways that align with you being that person. Yeah. And, uh, all three of them, uh, amazing for different, it sounds like really kind of different stages, different points, different moments for people. Um, I love the idea of fuck the how, because people get so hung up on the how Oh yeah. on like, oh, yeah. how am I going to make this happen? And in reality, we never know, even when we think we know the how, The test drive your dreams, like giving yourself permission to try things like we're curious humans, try different things, test drive them. And I mean, better than just sitting there and literally dreaming about something for how long I had this guy who was like, when he read that, he goes, oh my God, that was me. Like I wanted a houseboat for my entire life. And then finally he was retiring and he was going to get one and he goes to, to check one out and he goes, I got sick. I threw up over the side. He goes, I couldn't stay on there. The the water, the waves, it was too much for me. I could never handle it. So he spent his whole life wanting something mm-hmm. that he didn't even give himself mm. permission to try. And so all those years he wasted dreaming wanting of this, this thing, right? The energy of like thinking about mm-hmm. this thing and dreaming of this thing when he could have just tried it, rented one for the weekend or gone on someone's for the day and just saw that he actually didn't like it. Oh my gosh, this is so yeah. good because I always, I always say there's like this, this piece between where you like spend all this time thinking you want the thing, but you've never actually explored how much does it cost to have the thing? How right. would one get the thing? I actually just talked about this last episode. It was like, you, you desperately want a Gucci purse, right? But have you ever even actually gone into Gucci and touched the purse and said like, this is actually what I want? Right. You know, it's yeah, like, exactly. it's like trying things. Like I test drove a Range Rover to see if I actually wanted a Range Rover. Like I, I was like, do I actually want this car? Do yeah. I like the way it drives? And I you can do it. that with anything, and any anything. test drive. It doesn't <laughs> have to just anything. be a car. It can even be, I mean, literally it can be anything. It can be anything, anything, anything that you are dreaming of desiring. If you're like, that seems interesting to me. That's something I'd want to check out. Like 
find a small way to start doing it now. Even if it's just like, I'm going to take a class, I'm going to read a book, I'm going to watch a video on YouTube, like whatever it is, there's always something you can do to see. And then you can go, oh, I like this. I'm going to do more. Or you can go, oh yeah, no, that's not for me. Next. Next. Yeah. yeah. And then contemplate Don't waste your, your life. Time. I have an entire list of millionaire CEO me. Like, what does she do? Where does she go? How does she feel? How does she dress? How does she show up? Right. This like stepping into that version of yourself and yep. really like jumping. Um, so, um, and the last thing we're going to do is what we call the down and dirty three. All right. And I do not know what you're going to tell me, which is the fun part. So okay. what is a quote that has profoundly impacted your life? Okay. So this one is actually a partial quote. So it's like part of a longer quote, but the part of it that always kind of stuck with me is this part. Mm -hmm. um, and it's decide that what you know is more important than what you've been taught to believe. Mm -hmm. And I also have that tattooed on my arm. It's a Ralph Waldo Emerson partial quote. He's talking about manifestation. Um, but that part, just every time I say it, it literally gives me chills. Cause it's like, that was the moment in my life. I think it was 2014 when I got the tattoo where I thought, I don't know like what other people are choosing to believe, but I'm going to choose to believe something different about life and like what's possible. And, and I was just starting to get more deep into like the Abraham Hicks and the manifestation type mm -hmm. stuff. So it was like, it just felt like this matters somehow. And I don't know how, but it matters. And now it feels like it represents like my entire being and my entire mm. life, which is like, decide that what you know is way more important than all the shit you taught to believe, all the stuff you were programmed to believe, all the stuff that you saw other people believing, like you always get to decide. Yes. And that's what that means to me. It's it's about what you truly want. Right. And the next one is what is the book you think everyone can benefit from reading? Okay. So I have two that I've been kind of going back and forth in my head about. They're both money okay. related. Um, one is called Rich as Fuck by Amanda mm -hmm. Francis. Um, love that one. Love that one. Love that one. And then one I just picked up recently, which has actually been, wow. Like, I feel like it's one that you kind of had to be ready for, but it is next level. Like, wow. Um, it's called yeah. breaking loose from the money game. Hmm. And I can't remember the author's name, but if you just go Amazon breaking loose from the money game, it will come up. I, I literally read that book in 24 hours. Cause I was like, I couldn't put it down. I'm like, Oh my God, this is like everything. So yeah, I would recommend this yeah. for sure. What is it? What is that? I'm just curious, breaking loose from the money game. What is, what has been so like, damn about it? Like, <laughs> I mean, it would be a lot to explain, sure. but basically he talks about the fact that we are living in something called the human game and that we created all of this because we are literally the universe in human form. And like, we had to create limitations for ourselves because otherwise it's not fun to like then break the limitations. Right. So that's the start. He says the human game has two parts. Part one is most of our lives were living unconsciously. We don't know what's actually true, not true. You know, it's all these beliefs and all these things and we're limited and we feel like life is against us or whatever we feel. And then something happens, right? We have that moment of clarity, that moment of something mm -hmm. that shifts us into realizing we have more power than we think we do. And now you're in part two, which is where you're actively looking to get rid of the limiting beliefs, to get rid of the mindset mm -hmm. shit. Like literally you're willing to go into the fire over and over again, because you know, you're going to come out the other side, you know, uh, in a whole different way. So it's like, it's just kind of, it's just been interesting. Cause I feel yeah. like it explained the journey to me so well. I was like, wow, that's exactly what happens. The matrix moment is what I call it. 
Yeah. And that's, like, like, that's oh. like, I think that's exactly what he's talking about. You know, it's like that mm-hmm. moment where you realize, oh, I'm actually controlling all of this. <laughs> like I can decide and I can change it. It's like, damn, I am powerful. Right. right? Yeah. That's exactly yeah. it. And lastly, what are three words that describe your vision for your most extraordinary life? Okay. So mine are going to be really simple, mm-hmm. but I would say freedom, abundance, and joy. Beautiful. Thank you for yeah. this. Um, and what are the ways I'm going to, in the show notes, we're going to have all the ways people can connect with you, but real quick, how can somebody find you if they want to buy your book, check you out? Uh, okay. So I'm going to just do quick. I would say dreamliferbus.com takes you straight to Amazon where all my books are. So it's going to show you, it's in my Amazon author page. So all my books are all on that same page or you can find mm-hmm. them all on there. Um, so I would say that's the best place if you want to find my stuff. And then I'm on TikTok, I'm on Instagram, all the, Facebook, all the things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all the things. Jennifer Blanchard. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Jen. Absolutely. Thanks I think we me. got a lot of good stuff here. <laughs> Probably so, way more than you needed. <laughs> no, this is perfect. This is amazing. So much love, listeners. Until next time, you too can live your most extraordinary life. Much love. Want to learn more? Go to audrabartlett.com where you can learn how to work with me, sign up on the email list, and even book a free call with me.